This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. Poor stay poor, the rich get rich, that's how it goes. Everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows. Stephen Brunt, who's a, a fine uh, sports writer. And he has been um, giving his uh, his Olympic essays uh, for the last two weeks during the the fabulous Winter Olympics in Vancouver. They just wrapped up tonight, and uh, I think he said it best in his uh, his last installment or his last essay, and that is, after witnessing uh, these uh, these Winter Games in good old Canada, it's easy to be cynical. Uh, but uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but doesn't it feel good? to let your heart show. Yes, it is easy to be cynical. And especially when you're doing a program like this where you spend a great deal of time discussing political subterfuge and uh, the, the evil goings-on in the upper echelons of power. Uh, it is easy to get cynical. But never have I felt more Canadian than during the last uh, uh, two weeks or so. What a wonderful, wonderful... Uh, display and a, an outpouring of, of uh, pride and, dare I say, patriotism up here in, in Canada. And I know that uh, many of my, uh, my good friends and uh, listeners are from the good old USA, so I, 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 I want to tread lightly, but uh, gosh, that victory uh, tonight felt good, didn't it? Uh, Canada, Team Canada, capping off the, uh, the Olympics with a gold medal in, uh, in hockey. All right, uh, it is easy to be cynical, and perhaps for good reason. Wait till you hear the second hour of the show. Did you know, Dan Ellison, did you know? You're familiar, no doubt, with the Security Exchange Commission, the U.S. Security Exchange Commission, often referred to as the SEC. Well, did you know that Canada is listed on the SEC? It is a corporation. 
how could we be a corporation in a country at the same time, you ask? Well, that's a very good question, and we'll discuss that. What are the implications? If we're living in a corporation, what does that mean for average Canadians? And how did this happen? And what can we do about it? We'll discuss that with a couple of researchers and documentary filmmakers, uh, Douglas Force and Melanie Ann Howe. We'll be along in the second half of the program to talk about nothing less than the myth of Canada. Cynical, indeed, hard not to be cynical. In the first uh, half of the program, I don't have to tell you that we are facing some tremendous challenges as a species. These are very uncertain times. We have growing economic hardship. We have political instability around the world, declining energy and natural resources, catastrophic weather, earthquakes, loss of arable land, fresh water, pandemic diseases, escalating worldwide conflict. How on earth are we going to survive these great waves of change? How do we navigate these turbulent times that we find ourselves in? That, my friends, is what we are going to discuss. My uh, guest was sent into this world to receive, he says, a new message from God. He was prepared over a very long time to become its messengers. His life gave him opportunities to gain fundamental education about the world, to learn about relationships, self-expression, and to develop his awareness of the human condition. He was ignited spiritually at an early age, especially through his experience in nature. As a young man, his journey through the wilderness of North America continued his mysterious education. After graduating from the university, he became a teacher for blind children. During this time, he began to experience and rely upon an inner voice to guide him in his work. Acknowledged for his talents in the field of special education, he was offered the opportunity to make this his life's work. Yet, the inner voice compelled him to decline and re-enter the wilderness for many months. Following this time of reckoning and relinquishment, he returned to the world of the people and culture and began to teach the principles of self-knowledge, which he did for seven years. In 1982, at the age of 33, he had a direct encounter with the unseen ones, the angelic presence, who had been guiding and preparing him all along. This encounter forever altered the course of his life and initiated him into a deeper relationship with them, requiring that he surrender his life to God. Soon after this encounter, he had to leave his students and his teaching, his relationships, and his home in the city to wander again. This was difficult, inexplicable, and solitary, a solitary period for him. His wandering led him to retreat into the desert of the American Southwest, where the angelic presence came to him again. And so he began the long, mysterious process of receiving God's new message for humanity, a message contained in the book, The Great Waves of Change, Navigating the Difficult Times Ahead, Marshall Vion Summers, Welcome to The Conspiracy Show on AM740. How are you, Marshall? I'm fine. Good to be with you. Glad to have you aboard. Would you consider yourself a prophet, Marshall? Well, much of what I present is prophetic in nature, speaks of what is coming over the horizon, speaks of what many people are feeling and sensing today, 
but giving us, I think, a very clear picture of the kind of world that we're all going to be entering together and which represents the great ways of change. When you talk about uh, uh, a new message from God, uh, and I'll, uh, I, um, I come from an, an Orthodox Christian uh, framework, uh, one might say, why do we need a new message? We have a timeless message, for example, uh, and, and, and others of different religions will say, well, they have their holy books, and it's all written there, and we, 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 we know what to expect, whether it's you know, from Daniel or, or Revelation. Why do we need a new message? Well, a new message is being given to prepare humanity for a great turning point in the evolution of the human family. We're facing great ways of change that we've never faced before uh, as, as an entire race, we're also facing contact with intelligent life in the universe. We're entering a period of world decline in terms of resources. We're entering a period that really will change the face of the earth physically and politically and economically. And the religions of the world are splintered and fractured and in contention with one another. But their essential message has been so overlaid for so long with political agenda that, you know, the core message of all the world's religions uh, has become lost to many people. And so the essence of what has always been the revelation from God is being given again, but now in the context of preparing humanity for calamitous change in the world and also for the reality and the difficulty of contact with intelligent life in the universe. You know, it's an interesting thing when you read about, you know, the great messengers that we know of in the past, is they were speaking to illiterate peoples in a much earlier time. And now we have a message that is very vast because it's speaking to literate people, it's speaking to a world reading, world of people who read. And so it's giving us an, an immense opportunity to witness our world from a greater vantage point and to prepare ourselves for living in this great waves world and to prepare ourselves for our destiny within a greater community of life in the universe. Talk to me about your, uh, your encounter with uh, what you call the unseen ones. Uh, this happened when you were 33 in the wilderness? Well, when I was 33, I was actually not in the wilderness at that time. Uh, a great presence came over me and it so frightened me and overwhelmed me that I, I really didn't know what it was. And it spoke to me with a sound, only a sound. And the sound was so strong that I thought I was, I really thought I was going to die. I thought I was just going to physically die. But I didn't die. And when the sound ended and the presence left, I was so shocked by this encounter that uh, I set about to change my circumstances rather dramatically and um, began to wander. I wandered for nine months. I guess that was a gestation period for me. And then the presence returned and asked me to begin to record. And what I began to record was information unlike anything I'd ever read or heard of before. It certainly was unique. Uh, some of its wisdom was timeless, as I've read over the years since then, many of the sacred texts of the world's religions. 
but some of it was unlike anything that I had heard then or even since. And that began a process of revelation that continues even to this day. So the Great Ways of Change is one of the more recent revelation, part of this revelation dealing with the great ways of change that are coming to the world. And the fundamental question for each person is how will they know what to do in the difficult times ahead? Marshall Van Summers is uh, my guest here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Uh, we'll, not, we'll take a time out when we come back. Uh, I find your, your description of your encounter with the Unseen Ones interesting. I've always imagined that if one were to encounter uh, an angelic being, it would be a rather frightening experience. Uh, often, uh, you know, uh, people uh, perhaps in the New Age type movements describe uh, meeting angels, and it seems to be a very, uh, a very pleasant sort of experience. But that's not never been my understanding of uh, an angelic presence. It, all powerful. I mean, you would collapse and tremble in fear. One would imagine, and so too we may tremble with fear at the approach of these great waves of change, economic cataclysm, political instability, declining energy and natural resources. How? Will we survive? Marshall Van Summers may have some answers when we return. Don't go away. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. The wave is crashing. Will we sink or swim? The Great Waves of Change by my guest, Marshall Van Summers, is in effect a crash course for swimming in turbulent waters, we can survive the confluence of economic crisis, climate change, energy, energy scarcity, overpopulation, and the rest, he says, but not without profoundly changing the ways we think, relate to one another, and treat our environment. Uh, Marshall, how bad uh, is it going to get? I mean, you, you've sort of uh, given a, a laundry list of, of some of the things that we're facing. I think we're all familiar with some of these perils, but uh, the, is it going to... Are, are all of these things going to come together in one perfect storm, uh, dare I say, on, you know, winter solstice 2012? How is it, first of all, how is it going to happen? Do you have a time frame? Well, the time frame is, it is happening now, and it is beginning and will escalate. This is not one event. This is an ongoing set of great events that will continue into the future, and most of these events have been set in motion by humanity's misuse and overuse of the world. The great waves of change are like great waves converging, impacting one another and creating a situation so complex that no one can predict exactly how they are going to, to reveal themselves to us. The critical thing that I want your listeners to know is that this isn't just a big problem that we're all facing. This is why you've come into the world. This is the reason, from a higher standpoint, from a greater vantage point, this is your destiny, to be in the world at this time, to face a time of great turbulence and transition, a time when 
humanity's promise could finally be fulfilled or dashed forever. So this is a really culminating time that we're living in, and that is why there is a new message at this time. And I think that many people feel that they're living at a time of tremendous change, a threshold time, and that somehow their life is being fast-forwarded to prepare them for a set of events that have not been recorded yet. And there are many people who are, have a deep spiritual connection, not only to the past revelations, but to revelations that have yet to be revealed. Well, you mentioned, so, you mentioned yeah. revelations, Marshall, and, and there, is, there does seem to be some similarities between these uh, cataclysms that are coming our way and things that are uh, sort of prophesied in, in Revelation. Uh, some might call them the, you know, the tribulation, etc. Uh, I mean, are, are there... Are, am I correct in saying that these are sort of parallel tracks, or or are, are they are they are, is your new message and or God's new message and revelation are they really speaking about the same things? They're not speaking of the same things in terms of the end times. We're not facing the end times, the end of the world, the final judgment day. We're facing a time when the world begins to decline because humanity has overspent its natural inheritance because humanity has violated the laws of nature and the laws of our own individual and human nature to such an extent that we're going to have to face the consequences of that. And so, in a sense, it is a time of reckoning. It is a time of reconciliation. But it is not the end. It is a time, it may end many things that we've come to take for granted that we assume will always be present for us. And you asked me a little bit earlier, you know, how bad are things going to get? Well, things are going to get so severe that the face of the world will be changed in 20 years. We have before us perhaps three to five years to prepare for the great ways of change, which sounds like a long time, but it isn't a lot of time. And when I say prepare, I mean the individual, you preparing your life, your state of mind, and where you will find your strength and your guidance, because this is the time for the inner voice. How do we prepare? This is, the most, this is the most important thing. You know, in the back of the Great Waves uh, prophetic book, there's a whole section on preparing your outer life and your inner life. But the one thing that I really want to highlight is the inner voice, because the inner voice within you, and I'm speaking now to all your listeners, the inner voice within you is going to be the most important thing to prepare you to prepare your life. And if you can follow that voice bravely, courageously, even without understanding or being sure of its validity, then you will be able to navigate situations that other people will not be able to understand. You will be able to see what others cannot see you will be able to take actions that others will not take or cannot take. And this will make all the difference. And this is part of the revelation, is the revelation of the power and the presence of the inner voice that was hinted to in the teaching of the, greater, of the Holy Spirit. But we're talking about a greater intelligence that the Creator of all life has given to you and to each person, which now must be called upon as never before. When you say the inner voice, the inner voice that's going to, to speak to, uh, 
to those individuals uh, in preparation for these great waves. Uh, are you talking about the same inner voice that spoke to that, that came to you? In other words, we're we're going to be uh, also blessed with this message if we're receptive to it. The same one that you received. Well, the new message that I've received is a message for everyone, and people can visit it at newmessage.org. In fact, I have put up many of the original recordings of the angelic voice for people to hear, because I want people to have the direct experience. But when I speak of the inner voice, I'm speaking of the deeper intelligence within each person. I'm not speaking of the angelic voice, the angelic presence. That is an intervention. But what this intervention is really for is to ignite this deeper intelligence in people that is without fear, that is without preference, that can see clearly, and that can respond appropriately to changing circumstances. You know, we're facing now an economic crisis uh, for which there's no end in sight, and many people have been deeply hurt by this and deeply affected. And we're dealing with changing circumstances. You do not want to be one of the people who would have to finally admit to yourself or to others that I didn't see it coming. Because the power of this presence that I'm speaking of, the internal voice within each person, will prepare you and give you the signs of the great change. But to respond to these signs, you're going to have to be without condemnation of the world, and that's a very difficult thing uh, to do in, in times of this, because much corruption will be revealed in these times. There will be much human failure. There will be a great deal of breakdown uh, in civil order and things like this. So it is going to be a difficult time to be able to maintain uh, your stability and your objectivity and the clarity of your mind. But it is very important if you're going to be able to follow the inner voice. Marshall Van Summer is my guest here on The Conspiracy Show. His uh, website is newmessage.org. In the book, The Great Waves of Change, Navigating the Difficult Times Ahead. Uh, So how many of us here on Earth, uh, if you're privy to this information, do do you believe or were you told will survive these cataclysms? After, you know, in 20 years, after this transformation uh, is complete, how many of us, six and a half billion, will be, will be left? It's uncertain. It depends on the decisions that each person makes and that each nation makes. The outcome remains to be seen, whether humanity will become stronger and more united going through the great ways of change or whether it will break apart and go into collapse and permanent decline. Um, it's not as if a certain select number are going to be saved. I mean, God has given each person what will save them, and that is the inner voice. And we can talk about the inner voice because it expresses itself differently in people's unique individual experience. But some people are not going to survive the great ways of change. And the reason they're not going to survive is because they're going to be taking their cues from everyone else, They're going to be following their culture. They're going to be following their political leaders. They're going to be following their religious leaders. They are not going to be responding to the power and presence that lives within them. And this is the igniting of the spirit that we're talking about that holds the decisive key to whether someone makes the right decision or the wrong decision at the critical moment. And the critical moment can happen at any time for any person. It's not a critical moment for all people at one time. All right. Why don't we um, talk a little bit on the other side about how 
we can prepare. How do we prepare ourselves? How do we prepare our family for these coming waves of change? And how do we keep our head above water as the sea levels rise? Back with more of my conversation with Marshall Vianne Summers, author of The Great Waves of Change, here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. How many examples do we need, whether it's Katrina, the situation in in Haiti, uh, to realize the government is not going to be able to help? We're on our own, folks. And uh, my guest says, listen to that inner voice and self-knowledge, because that is the best way out of these turbulent times, if you wish to keep you and your family's head above water. And um, Marshall, Marshall Van Summers uh, is with us. Marshall, uh, so how do we prepare then? Right now, if I were to, uh, to go home tonight, and, uh, and uh, what do I do? Store, I mean, we've heard these things before, you know, store water and food supplies, but obviously, you, you know, there's, m- there's more to your message than that. How do we prepare? Well, the preparation is, is really a complete uh, reevaluation of your life and circumstances, your outer circumstances. You know, the inner voice will direct you in terms of how, where to live, how to live, uh, what would be a sustainable form of employment, uh, who to associate with, who to avoid. Uh, how to change um, the state of your mind, the state of your thinking. All of these things are going to require that you pay very close attention to your circumstances and to your internal states. You know, we're, we're asked to go through a radical change in a short period of time, and that's a remarkable thing that people can do. Uh, people do that in a state of emergency, and we're actually living in a state of emergency. And I think that if you listened to your own deeper feelings, you'll have a sense that there's a great deal of turbulence on the inside, uncertainty and perhaps fear. And as you said so wisely in the beginning of the show, you know, it's easy to be cynical. But being cynical is not really being present. It's not really being attentive to what the world is telling you, because the world is giving you signs about what is happening and what is coming. And internally, this inner voice is giving you signs as well. And perhaps there are already signs in your life that are telling you what needs to change, what needs to be altered, what needs to be strengthened. And that is very important. And the new message itself has given us a roadmap into the great waves called Steps to Knowledge. Steps to Knowledge is a, a, a preparation that was revealed as one of the first things that was revealed to me in the form of a book. It's a 400-page book that was revealed to me in 14 days. And it's a roadmap to the power and the presence of the inner voice, but it also gives you the foundation within yourself to face whatever life can put in front of you. 
And that is something so remarkable and so remarkably necessary. You know, we're, we're living now even at times around the world, uh, what has happened in Haiti, what has happened yesterday in the coast of Chile, is a reminder that the world is moving underneath our feet and that we're living in increasingly unstable times. And we're going to need that inner compass now, not only to respond in the moment, but to prepare our life to be stable enough and strong enough to withstand the shocks of change that are going to come with the great waves. You live in, in what I understand is you know, relative uh, seclusion in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado, I believe. So you're, you're living this life now, I'm gathering. You're, you're, you're fully prepared and you're, you're living the new message. Well, I've had to prepare my life. I consider myself the first student of the new message. And so uh, when I began to become aware of the great ways of change uh, 10 years ago, I had to begin this process of reevaluation, you know, uh, where I live, how I live, how I travel about, how I use energy, uh, how I prepare for the future. All of these things are within the realm of each person's responsibility and range of influence. I mean, we may feel powerless to change the course of government, but we do still have quite a bit of power in altering our own thinking and immediate behavior and circumstances. And that is a power that we have to bring to bear. And so I've been doing, uh, working in this direction myself because, you know, no one is exempt from these requirements. So uh, are we talking about things like, okay, uh, you know, learn how to grow and cultivate your own, uh, your own vegetables and grow your own food. Uh, get off the grid, uh, whether it's uh, geothermal or, or solar power or wind. Uh, um, uh, stock up on, uh, you know, precious metals. Uh, is this what we're talking about at a basic level at least? Well, when we talk about the outer preparation, that can be part of it if it is appropriate for you. But more importantly, it's, is your life really where it needs to be right now? I know that sounds like a very subjective question, but it really goes to the heart of the situation. I mean, if you're in the wrong place, perhaps engaged in relationships that are not strengthening you, if you're involved uh, in, in a career or focus that will have no future, then it doesn't matter how much you stockpile. It doesn't matter how much uh, you try to live uh, locally or organically. You're going to be in crisis, and many people are in crisis, and the numbers of people in crisis are growing each day. Can you give me an example of, a, of, a, of let's say, a career path or a vocation that is in your mind or based on the information you've received from the Unseen Ones and, and the new message that is sustainable, that is, is, is the future? I can. Think of for a moment... If we were in about to enter a great world war and everything was on a war footing, which means people were using basic goods and services, things that were essential with perhaps, you know, some discretionary spending and how different that would be from the way that most people in the wealthy nations, at least, live today. Uh, the United States has an economy based on discretionary spending that is drying up. It's contracting. And so to go into the Great Ways future, I mean, you are going to have to be saving for that future, living simply, you know, building your resources, uh, building, strengthening your situation, helping people around you, educating other people. It's as if we're going to be going into a prolonged uh, state of austerity. And uh, 
you know, that's going to be a huge shock for the wealthy people of the world. Uh, I just returned from Southeast Asia, and uh, I had an opportunity to spend a month in Cambodia, in Phnom Penh, where people are not living a life of discretionary spending. And though they face their own great hazards in the great waves, the adjustment for them may be much easier than it will be for wealthy people who are accustomed to affluence and opportunity and insulation and protection uh, from the institutions around them. And those are the kinds of things that are going to be altered radically. You mentioned earlier, uh, how bad will it get? Well, uh, food, water, and energy are going to be the critical determining forces in society, in every society, in every country. And no nation, no matter how wealthy, is going to be exempt from the problems that are going to be facing uh, the human family because uh, food production will decline. Energy will decline. And as if a growing number of people are going to be drinking from a slowly shrinking well. And the great question before us as individuals and before us as nations and as collective groups of people, as will, are we going to fight each other for everything that remains, or are we going to unite and collaborate? There's a beautiful quote. Uh, this is from Preparing Your Family. Uh, this is a, one of the discourses in The Great Ways of Change. And this, this reads, Your spirituality will be about caring for people, feeding people, serving people, and taking care of the world around you. That will be your gift to God. And that will be spirituality in the great ways of change. It's not going to be about enlightenment or transcendence or moving into another dimension. It's not going to be about uh, an effortless life or peace and equanimity. It's going to really be about service and cooperation. Marshall Van Summers is the author of The Great Waves of Change, Navigating the Difficult Times Ahead, here on The Conspiracy Show. AM 740, Zoomer Radio. Uh, let me ask you about uh, contact. Uh, I spend a great deal of time on this program talking to those in the UFO disclosure movement who are fighting to end the 63-plus uh, years uh, truth embargo uh, about the, the ET presence uh, here on Earth. What, how does that enter into the new message, this greater community you talk about? Uh, how does that uh, fit into all of this? Well, there are exploratory and exploitive races in the world today seeking to take advantage of a weak and divided humanity who know that humanity is entering a time of contraction and decline because that is the fate of nearly every technologically advancing world that they go through a period of outstripping their world's resources and face a tremendous, uh, a tremendous um, difficulty in how they're going to provide for their civilization. And we're entering into that period now. And so there are other races here who see, will seek to establish themselves as powers, as guiding powers, as determining powers for the human family. And I know there are many people who want contact and and. I certainly am. I certainly understand uh, people's connection to what I call the greater community of the universe, and we have a spiritual connection to the greater community of the universe. 
But the forces who are present in the world today, all of them, are here to compete to gain power and influence in the world. And though they may present themselves as benign or benevolence and offer any number of wonderful things to intrigue us, uh, in fact, they're commercial forces who are here to exploit our current and growing circumstances. You're, you're, you're referring specifically to the ET races that are interacting with humanity, whether it's the greys or um, some. there are the, those that have been described as the tall whites. These are all uh, essentially uh, colonizers looking to exploit humanity. That's correct. You know, this is... This we're, we know nothing about life in the universe, and we're very innocent, and we're very presumptive, and uh, we, we hope and believe that whoever exists out there exists for our benefit. And if we do encounter them, the encounter will be for our benefit. But the greater community really presents us with a requirement that we become more united as a race and wise about who can enter this world, which is the home, our home and our planet of origin. You know, the new message talks about humanity's destiny in the universe, but in order to fulfill that destiny and to emerge into this complex arena of life as a free and self-determined race, we're going to have to gain knowledge and wisdom from the greater community. And that is part of what the new revelation presents. I mean, it's the only teaching in the world that can teach us about what life is like in the universe and what we as human beings are going to have to know and do if to, I'm, engage, to engage with this arena of life in a beneficial way for ourselves. If I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, Marshall, it sounds like you're suggesting that uh, although we are being visited by uh, exploitative uh, entities, there, there is uh, there, or there are a civ- a, uh, advanced civilizations out there in our galactic backyard, uh, who are waiting and are watching, but we're not ready for them. Is that is that correct? That's correct. We're not ready for contact. I mean, we can hardly even contact each other. We can't even have meaningful conversations between the leaders of our nations. And we're hardly ready for contact with non-human extraterrestrial races. Uh, we have a pressing need. I'm going to be reading now from Greater Community Spirituality, which is the New Message Book of Theology, This is from the chapter, What is Your Preparation For? You have a pressing need to elevate yourself, to unify your race, to restore your environment, and to speak as one voice in the greater community. What does this mean? This means not that we're going to be living in one state in the world. This means that we have to really cooperate to protect the world, to restore the world, and to be able to engage with life beyond our world as one people. You know, if we can't do that, then we are open for intervention. We are vulnerable to persuasion, manipulation, and seduction, the very things that are happening right now throughout the world regarding the extraterrestrial presence in the world. And there's interesting, there's two two discourses in the great ways of change prophecy about our contact with intelligent life in the universe and how that relates to our facing great ways of change within the world. And it's so, it's so clear, it's so simple, it's so understandable. Because, you know, we are at a time now where we could lose the authority of governance of this world. That has not happened yet. 
but the danger of that is very great. This is where people in disarray can fall under foreign persuasion, and that is exactly the intention of those races who are here in the world today. These are not military forces. They do not come here with vast armada of ships. They are small forces who are very, very skillful in mental persuasion. They are very skillful in presenting themselves uh, in accordance with our expectations, with our own desires, and uh, our own fantasies. And that is what is happening, unfortunately. And many people around the world are being taken against their will by these forces and subjected to often terrible psychological processes. The abduction phenomenon. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the amount of confusion regarding this is, is pretty phenomenal. And so I would recommend for your listeners to visit the alliesofhumanity.org. These are two sets of briefings from an enlightened set of races who are watching the earth and sending us wisdom about how we need to engage with contact, how we need to view contact, how to establish our own rules of engagement regarding contact, all the things that are not happening today, which will need to happen if we're going to engage with life in the universe in any way that's beneficial to us. Uh, Marshall, uh, I was somewhat relieved when you said that uh, in terms of, of uh, preparing uh, for contact eventually, uh, that this doesn't mean we have to be living under one state because much of what you'd been saying prior to that, leading up to that, was was starting to concern me in the sense that a lot of what you're saying I've heard before, in the, it, but coming from... Uh, sort of, you know, the one world type mindset that, that uh, you know, the, we, we have to get rid of the nation state and we have to erase borders and we, you know, we have to become one a global uh, village. Uh, and, and perhaps there are institutions uh, uh, that, 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 could, that could speak for humanity, but I don't know that I'm prepared or would want to live in a world without the nation state because I've often said this, you know, if we think that our our governments are distant now and unresponsive in Washington or in Ottawa. Imagine how unresponsive and distant they will be if they're located in The Hague or, mm -hmm. uh, yes. you know what I'm, what I'm saying here? Yes, I do know what you're saying. Can you allay uh, those fears for me? <laughs> okay. No, I'm not talking about one state. I'm, I'm talking about collaboration and cooperation. I mean, if we're just nothing but a warring set of tribes who are going to fight each other for the last scrap of resource in this world, then we're going to fail. And if we fail, we will be taken over by other races in the universe. And that's just, that's what's awaiting us, should we fail. So we're going to have nation states, but the level of responsibility and cooperation between them is going to have to grow significantly, or the world community will fall. All right, we'll be back on the other side. More of my conversation with Marshall Vianne Summers, The Great Waves of Change, Navigating the Difficult Times Ahead. My name is Richard Serrett. Do you think not getting caught in a lie is the same thing as telling the truth? No. It's simple economics. Today it's oil, right? In 10 or 15 years, food, plutonium. Now what do you think the people are going to want us to do then? Ask them when they're running out. Ask them when there's no heat in their homes and they're cold. Ask them when their engines stop. Ask them when people who've never known hunger start going hungry. You want to know something? They won't want us to ask them. They'll just want us to get it for them. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 
To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. That was a great clip from uh, Three Days of the Condor with Cliff Robertson and, and Robert Redford. Robert Redford is a... Um, sort of a lower-rung intelligence gatherer with the CIA when he really discovers the, sort of the true nature of, uh, of that organization, what they're up to, how cutthroat they can be. But it, it's kind of an interesting uh, angle because uh, while Robert Redford would like to, to, I guess in his character anyway, sort of view the CIA as uh, this, this criminal element, this cutthroat gang... Ultimately, we all have to sit back and realize, yes, we all, we're all culpable. They may be uh, thugs, but they're our thugs, and they're doing our bidding. They're doing exactly what we want them uh, to do, exactly what we expect of them. And this is really, I guess, the root of the problem, so says Marshall Vian Summers, that uh, this tribalism that is going on in planet Earth has put this planet in such peril that we are now facing a perfect storm of cataclysmic events, political instability, economic collapse, uh, climate change, uh, the depletion of natural resources, arable land, fresh water, and how are we going to survive all this? Well, he says the new message uh, that he um, has received uh, from an angelic presence visited upon him, uh, this holds the message, this holds uh, the answers uh, for us. Now, Marshall, I, I, I've talked about cynicism, but I guess at heart I'm a bit of an optimist in the sense that uh, having uh, sat in this chair for a number of years and I've, I've had the privilege of speaking with some pretty uh, bright people, some uh, some very innovative uh, people, and I hear a lot of uh, uh, promise in the realm of, of free energy and these sorts of things. I think the, the, I think a lot, the answer to a lot of these problems is right under our nose if we had the political will uh, or the vision to... Uh, to accept that. And maybe some of this free energy, for example, is, is, is here now, but it's being suppressed. Uh, isn't that possible that we have the, we really do have the answers to a lot of these, these problems uh, right now? We just have to act upon them? Well, that's a very good question, Richard. And, you know, we have, we have the answer in terms of what can guide us. You know, people want simple answers. They want to know that there is an answer. They want to know that this is going to work out. Uh, but the question is, how do we get from here to there? And that's what the new message provides. I mean, the new message is providing what we cannot provide ourselves. This has to come from a greater power. I mean, I'm not telling you that I, Marshall Vian Summers, have the answer, or that I can say how the world is going to work, how it can work. I mean, I will tell you, I don't have that answer. But the answer has been given through the new message. And this is what I can offer people, is what has been basically overtaken my life for the last 25 years. And it really comes down to something so elemental within each one of us as to the decisions we make and what we listen to within ourselves, the truth or the falsity of what we tell ourselves and one another. That is going to make, in the end, the difference because everything that people do is based on decisions, and those decisions are based upon what informs them, what guides them, you know, without the power of the inner voice, we are subject to so many forces of persuasion and so many forces of manipulation in the world around us. And certainly, you know, through shows such as your own, many of these things are coming to light. And it's, it's very shocking 
to see how very corrupt uh, the structures above us are. But they're also corrupt because life at every level has been corrupt. I mean, human nature has been corrupted. Uh, our own integrity has been corrupted. Is that to suggest, Marshall, that... Uh, I mean, we're all familiar with the, th- the theories of, of uh, uh, ETs having interacted with... With uh, with ancient civilization, whether it's the you know uh, or uh, you know the Mayans or the or the Dogon tribe in in uh, in Africa, uh, uh, a lot of the creation stories in, in, involve what appear to be ETs, and uh, you you describe these these uh, ET presence here on Earth and perhaps in our past as well uh, as being exploitative. Is, is is that the root of the corruption? Uh, and the deception uh, with, with, with even on the world stage today and our political leaders is that behind these people are these manipulative ET races. Well, you know, the presence of the, what we call the intervention, the extraterrestrial intervention, is to influence people in positions of power to take reckless and even destructive actions. You know, why would the strongest nation in the world put itself in intractable, unwinnable conflicts who is guiding us to do that? I mean, any person with common sense could look at those situations and, and realize that they're hopeless and they would only lead to the decline of, of that nation. And that is exactly what's happening. And so, yes, there are corruptive forces, not only our own corruptive forces, but there are other forces being impressed upon us from the outside to lead us into greater division into greater weakness and greater vulnerability, because once we enter that state, then we become very helpless, and we will accept any kind of offer that's given to us from foreign powers. We are living in a greater community of intelligent life. The Earth is not isolated. We are not isolated. And this is part of the revelation of the new message, is to teach us about our greater community reality and the fact that we are citizens of this greater community. We are emerging into this greater community, we are emerging out of a state of, you know, destructive tribalism, and we're going to have to go through this period of transition, however long it may be, and I can't tell you how long it will be, in order to achieve a greater stability and a greater unity. And by unity, I don't mean we're going to be one state, because I know Canadians love Canada, and Cambodians love Cambodia, and the French love France, and that's part of the tapestry and the richness of humanity. But it is going to require a kind of cooperation based upon necessity that we have not seen yet. How do we uh, uh, then break through this uh, this uh, corruption, uh, deception uh, that I- I exists over us? Uh, you know, layers of, of government that have, that have been influenced by these exploitative uh, ET races. How can we, as individuals, then uh, change the course of history if our uh, you know, so-called elected officials and otherwise uh, are, are running the show. You know, I speak in this matter, I speak to the individual. I mean, you end, you end the corruption within yourself. And because you have to guide yourself out of the morass, this now is not just about what governments do. It's about what individuals do. Individuals are going to determine the ultimate outcome. And, you know, governments will become impotent in the future. It's what individuals do, what people build together through united relationships, what guides people's actions. And that's why the new message is geared towards the individual. It's not, it's not a platform to change government policy. 
because that's just more politics. That will be more of the same. This, um, and whatever, whatever good is created there will only be you know, uh, usurped by commercial uh, forces. And so we're really dealing with the integrity of the individual because to every one of your listeners, I mean, I want you to survive the great ways of change. I want you not only to survive them, but to, be, to find a place of real contribution to the world. And that is what is calling you, you know, in life. That is your calling in life. That is why you're here. You're not just here to enrich yourself. You're actually here to make a difference for yourself and for others and ultimately for the world. And, you know, the world is emerging into a greater community of life in the universe. We are facing great ways of change. The future we're facing is going to be unlike the past. I mean, we cannot hold on to the life that we have known in the wealthy nations because it's going to be changing radically. And that is the calling for every person to begin to respond. And the new message gives us the opportunity and the clarity to respond. And I invite you to join me in preparing for the greater community and preparing for the great ways of change because these are the two great challenges facing every person in the world today. Marshall Van Summers, The Great Waves of Change, Navigating the Difficult Times Ahead. And again, the website, www.newmessage.org. The Mayan, uh, the Mayan Council, rather, the Mayan elders, uh, were very silent uh, for, for a long time about uh, you know the meaning of the Mayan calendar and, and 2012. Uh, and then recently... Uh, they came forth to dispel a lot of the myths. Uh, to, they, they've been quite categorical in saying the Mayan calendar is not a doomsday calendar. Life as we know it is not going to end on the winter solstice 2012. Um, they, but they say what it is forecasting is sort of a, uh, uh, an, an elevation in, in human consciousness and a new age. Uh, it almost there again, I see a parallel uh, with the new message that you're talking about mm-hmm. and uh, this... Uh, this uh, Elevation in, in human consciousness uh, that the, Mayan, uh, the Mayans were talking about. It, is, is that a fair, a fair uh, comparison? Well, I think it is. You know, um, I always am asked about 2012, and of course many people are fixated on, on that year and that date. But what we're really talking about is, is the end of a cycle and the beginning of a different cycle. And the transition between cycles is extremely turbulent. I mean, you look at human history, the great transitions uh, have, have not been peaceful. It's been very quite difficult for people, and, uh, but essential for the evolution of humanity. And in a way, the great ways of change, though extremely hazardous for us, represent a kind of uh, requirement that we mature as individuals, mature as nations, mature and seek stability rather than endless growth, because endless growth is impossible. And, you know, this is a time when we have to grow up. And I think that the higher consciousness is within us. When I speak of the inner voice, I'm speaking of the higher consciousness. This is what the new message speaks of as the deciding factor, eventually, for the outcome for everyone. And through the practice of steps to knowledge, through the study of the new message, uh, this, I think, will give people an opportunity to see very clearly, without distortion uh, and without corruption, the, cl- the way that we're going to have to follow within ourselves, within you as an individual, and what we're going to be able to contribute to society around us, because every one of us has come into the world with a set of gifts that will be called out of us in the great ways of change. I guess my my final question would be this: Is it? I mean, we are obviously in the midst of some of these uh, these uh, changes, 
and we're just seeing the beginning, I think, of, of the the economic collapse. Uh, but can the worst of these things be averted? Are, are, are these is this prophecy is it cast in stone, or is there is there a, a, a way out if we if we uh, have this uh, you know uh, new consciousness? Uh, is can we avoid all of this? Well, that's a very good question, and we can't avoid all of it. It's going to happen, but the degree to which its destructiveness impacts us will be determined to a great degree on the kind of preparation we do. You know, when you're prepared for life's eventualities, you're able to withstand them and to grow and benefit from them. If you aren't prepared, they can, you know, take your life away from you. They can undermine and destroy everything you've created. I mean, we're seeing this on a daily basis uh, throughout the world as people's lives are being undermined or overwhelmed uh, and stripped away from them by circumstances they didn't foresee. So this is a time for us to prepare, and preparation is the key. Understanding comes as a result of preparation. Preparation is following a pathway you did not invent for yourself. This is the revelation of the new message. Marshall Vianne Summers, thank you for this. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. The Myth of Canada. When we come back, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. As always, I refer you to the website richardserrett.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T, Richard Serrett, all one word, richardserrett.com, and that is your portal to The Conspiracy Show. There you'll find information on uh, the latest uh, program, uh, website links and the names of authors and books, etc., and... uh, also, past shows. You can listen to uh, past shows on the Past Show Audio Archive uh, page. And let me give you a heads up. What's coming up next week on the show? That's Sunday, Feb- uh, February. If, uh, my gosh, time is marching. Isn't it Sunday, March the 7th? Gl- uh, global warming, what the government isn't telling you. There's a, a broadcaster in the United States. It's the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
and uh, Republic, uh, Republic Radio. His name is J.R. Moore, very popular host down there. And he's uh, been studying global warming for about two decades, and he's uh, put together a DVD called Global Warming, What the Government Isn't Telling You. He'll be joining me in the first hour uh, next week. We'll learn the truth behind the deception of global warming, and um, he'll reveal some of the classified information he's received from the U.S. military on this topic. We'll talk about the science and science fiction in the documentary film An Inconvenient Truth, and uh, he'll tell us about these government-designated safe havens. And we'll also learn the real and highly classified timetable for the onset of abrupt climate change and rising ocean levels. That's J.R. Moore uh, next week on the program. Also, Bob Curran will join us live from Ireland to talk about his book about werewolves, lycanthropes, shapeshifters, etc. And uh, the week after that, March the 14th, the very first show I did here on AM 740 was August the 16th, the anniversary of Elvis Presley's death. So my, one of my first guests was a young woman by the name of Eliza Presley, uh, who is currently working her, her, her court uh, case through the courts. And uh, she is uh, attempting to gain access to the estate of, uh, of the Presley family and Graceland because she contends, and she has DNA evidence, she says, that she is Vernon Presley's daughter. That would make her Elvis Presley's stepsister. Uh, Further, she claims, as many others have, that Elvis Presley is still alive. Now, I know this has become the butt of jokes over the years, but she has uh, forensic uh, uh, investigators that have insisted her in her court case that also, they claim, have DNA evidence that a man living under the name of Jesse Presley is, in fact, Elvis Presley. So she'll be here with some updates on March the 14th, along with uh, one of her forensic investigators. That should be interesting. All right. The myth of Canada. My next guests have a very controversial contention that Canada, which has just perhaps celebrated its finest hour on the world stage over the last two weeks, is nothing more than a corporate fiction. In reality, Canada does not exist as a federated nation. And further, we don't have a constitution. Why, why is Canada, Inc. listed on the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC? You can look it up. It's right there. It lists our, the headquarters, which I believe are on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. I believe it lists also a board of directors, legal counsel. What does this mean for average Canadians? How did this happen and what can we do about it? Douglas Force is a researcher, documentary filmmaker. He got his start in the film industry in Vancouver, British Columbia in the late 1980s, working as a stuntman and actor. He then went on to independently produce his first feature film, Alligator Skin, in Vancouver, after which he went to Hollywood, California, executive produced his second feature film, and made money on the international scene. By the mid-90s, He moved to Europe to work with a private banking consortium where he remained until 1999 and then returned to North America. He currently resides in Toronto, spent the last six years diligently researching the topics for a new film as yet to be released entitled Bamboozled. We'll learn more about that. We're also joined on the line by Melanie uh, Melanie Ann Howe, who's a researcher, documentary filmmaker, board member for Skeptics Inquiry for Truth, and a producer at the Gabriel Foundation. Melanie Ann Howe and Douglas Force, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hello again, Richard. It's nice to be back. Douglas Hi, and Melanie, yes, good to have you back. 
All right, let's go back. Uh, I, I mentioned, and the two of you are the ones that, that put me onto this, and I have to say, when you told me this, I was incredulous, so I looked it up. I went onto the SEC website, and there, in fact, just as you explained, we found Canada Inc. listed on the Securities Exchange Commission. Now, uh, my understanding of the, the SEC is... Uh, after the uh, the crash in in, in twenty nine, the the uh, the U S government uh, decided to to form this regulating body, but it it it's really um, responsible for enforcing you know laws relating to the nation's stock stock and options exchanges. But as far as I know, Canada Inc. isn't listed on the stock exchange. Or am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. It's not listed on the stock exchange. All right. So then why would it be listed on the SEC? Well, as all private corporations <clears throat> that operate uh, in North America are listed on the SEC. For example, if you were to go onto the Edgar search and search Ontario province of, uh, Toronto city of, it would also come up. Um, beyond that, you could go on to uh, Dun & Bradstreet and get the... Uh, um, credit ratings for companies like Canada Inc., Toronto, uh, City of Inc., uh, Ontario Province of, uh, the courts here in Toronto, uh, both the provincial and city courts, uh, the Toronto Police, the OPP, all have credit ratings and, all are, and are all incorporated. Well, but, but they, they um, we, I mean, we know that Canada has a credit rating, I mean, because uh, we, we get it from S&P, uh, you know, they say, well, we're, uh, we're an A-plus or we're an A-minus, etc., because if, if they issue bonds, mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, you need, to, you need a, a, a credit rating, so that, uh, there's nothing necessarily odd about that, or is there? Why would the Ontario courts need a credit rating? Why that would is the a good Ontario question. Police need a credit. Rating? That I don't. I don't know. So mm-hmm. all of these things are listed on the SEC. No, uh, what you'll find on the uh, well, the Ontario province of is listed on the SEC Edgar search. Uh, that's the city of Toronto, uh, the Toronto police, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are all on Dun and Bradstreet. Okay, but cities are cities are in fact incorporated. They have to be in, because there are liability issues, right? Well, that's true. To a certain degree, municipal incorporations are done. Um, as for uh, uh, corporate entities uh, like the courts, uh, the provincial courts, including the, the, the Canadian federal courts, also have listings on Dun & Bradstreet for credit ratings. And you've got to ask yourself, why would the courts need a credit rating of all things? All right. And, uh, okay, let's go back to Canada first before we get to the courts. Yeah. So if Canada is a corporation, and we'll get into, uh, you know, when this happened and why, but what does that, how does that affect me as, a, as an individual? If I'm living in a country or a corporation, aren't we parsing terms? Well, let me give you a very good, uh, uh, an example here. The Canadian uh, Constitution Act of 1982 was foisted upon us by Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And it states very clearly in this charter as to who it applies to. Okay, and it states that it applies to the Parliament and the Government of Canada in respect of all matters within the authority of Parliament, including all matters in the Yukon Territory and, Northwest, and the Northwest Territories. The and, legislature and government of each province in respect of all matters within the authority of the legislature of each province. You've got to ask yourself, how does that apply to you 
the man, Richard Surratt, when you're not part of the legislative body or parliament of either the Northwest Territories or Yukon and or any of the provinces. Well, isn't it delineating the the powers and responsibilities of the various levels of government? Isn't that what that's about? Like Section 91 and I think it was 92 of the, the old the British North America Act. The British North American Act died on December 11th, 1931, uh, with the uh, Statute of Westminster coming forward. But <clears throat> we'll go forward a little bit here, and I want to get into a little bit of what they actually um, create as a corporation. Now, I don't know whether you know and your listeners know that corporations can't actually deal with men and women. They actually have to deal with other corporations. And under the Constitution Act of 1982, uh, it states very clearly here, but you have to know what you're reading. It says that everyone has the following fundamental freedoms, and it goes on to list them. Every citizen of Canada has such and such and so and so. It goes on into the Bill of Rights, that the right of, of the individual, uh, of life, liberty, and security of person, the right of the individual, to the equality before the law. Now, first and foremost, you have to understand what they're saying here. And one must look up what everyone or an individual is. And if you have handy a uh, Canadian law dictionary and were to flip through that, you wouldn't find anything in there about that. So you must go to a Canadian dictionary. And when you look up, for example, what everyone means, everyone means a person. Likewise, when you look up individual, individual means a person. Now, under the Interpretations Act of Canada, this is who they're talking about. Person includes a corporation. doesn't say man, woman, human being. It just says includes a corporation. Under a maxim of law, the inclusion of one is the exclusion of all others. The exclusion of... All others. In other words, the exclusion of persons. No, it's the exclusion of man, woman, human being. All right. So, when you look at the Canadian Charter of Rights, uh, under the Constitution Act of 1982 and the Bill of Rights, those documents actually apply to only one thing. Corporations. Which are corporations. So the, 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 the Constitution Act uh, and the Charter of Rights are, in fact, commercial, uh, c- commercial documents outlining how corporations deal with one another. Actually, they are the charter for the corporation known as Canada and how Canada deals with the human population. Douglas Force is uh, with us, researcher, documentary filmmaker. Melanie Ann Howe is a researcher, documentary filmmaker, uh, also a board member for Skeptics Inquiry for Truth. Well, and Melanie, uh, uh, you know, please jump in uh, whenever you, you, you feel the need. Um, <laughs> let me ask you then how, again, this practically makes a difference to me because while the, the charter uh, may apply uh, to corporations... Individuals have taken uh, uh, cases to the Supreme Court and won. Uh, Ontario Supreme Court, for example, uh, you know, uh, because of a gentleman here in Toronto who wanted to open his store on Sunday, uh, Paul Magder, and he won eventually. Uh, that, to me, suggests that the 
the individual, the person, a human being, a man, Paul Magder, um, exercised his rights, had his case heard at a Supreme Court level, and won. So I'm not quite sure. Actually, Richard, uh, Paul Magder, the human being, didn't win. Paul Magner, the all-caps fiction person, who Paul Magner, the human being, is the surety for, won. They can't see Paul Magner, the human being. They can only see the person. Now, a person, okay, under various uh, statutes and acts here in, in Canada, uh, a person can be a driver, a taxpayer, a citizen, a voter, an account holder, a husband, a wife, employee, etc., etc. Those are all persons, as per the various statutes and acts uh, put out by the federal, provincial uh, governments. Right. They, as soon as they, you know, they issue our uh, our birth certificate and our, our SIN cards, uh, there we are, uh, all in capital letters. So that's that isn't me as a human being. That's me as a corporation. Correct. Okay, but maybe maybe that's just ultimately how governments deal uh, with their citizens. That that's just the way the game is set up. But is that is that necessarily detrimental? Well, actually, that's not true. Um, as as we will just look across the border into the United States and what the founding fathers did. Let me just hold you on. Uh, hold on, right there, Douglas. We'll get to that uh, on the other side, and we'll uh, open up the phone lines as well. What do you make of this? If you're listening at home, you've got the uh, the laptop open. Go to the Securities Exchange Commission and check it out for yourself. Canada Inc. I believe right above it is Canada Canada Dry, uh, and then you've got Canada Inc lists our headquarters. Why is it down in Washington, D.C.? We'll find that out as well. Douglas Force, Melanie Ann Howe, researchers, documentary filmmakers, warning that we are not living in a federated state. We're living in a corporation. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. File this one under suspicions confirmed, perhaps, that we are living in a corporation. Sometimes it feels that way. Many of us have thought there's something wrong with the way the world works, but we've never been able to put our finger on it. We feel like a number. Remember that song from Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band? Maybe Bob was closer to the truth than even he ever imagined. Douglas Force and Melanie Ann Howe are here to talk about the myth of Canada. All right, uh, Douglas, uh, before the break, you were talking. we were talking about the all-caps fiction, and I've done a number of shows on that, and I think many of the people listening are, are sort of hip to the idea that, and, and they've, you know, obviously they've wondered aloud probably at one time or another why all their important legal uh, and government documents are all in capital letters. Uh, and uh, I guess that a very superficial explanation is that um, they've, they've set us up as a corporation because you can't, as I understand it, legally tax uh, human beings, but you can tax corporations. And um, so anyway, you, were, you, you wanted to draw an example of, of, of what's going on in the United States. Well, what I was going to say is I'm going to take us back about 200 years uh, in, under the Constitution of the Organic Constitution of the United States, being that it was a common law document. 
the uh, founding fathers of the United States uh, did not create a sovereign nation, but they created a nation of sovereigns. In other words, the individual, all individuals within the confines of uh, the borders of the United States, were considered to be sovereign. <clears throat> that is, the, the, in law, that's the highest form of law. In other words, that they stood on top of their government. And their government dealt with them in the jurisdiction of common law. And hence, uh, that all changed. That's the bamboozled, the, the movie I'm working on. Yes. We go into finite detail explaining how that was done and how it was turned around, and how what's going on today is the reseeding of the republic under the organic constitution, and they're going to bring it back to a nation of sovereigns. Can I just mention that in a sovereign society, a corporation is an aggregate and not a person under Anglo-Saxon common law. It cannot have personhood as that status is not bestowed on inanimate objects or ideas. But all members of, this, of a sovereign society are human beings, men, women, and not persons under the legalese term that is used today to describe corporations. So if we're living in a corporation, that would make uh, Dan Ellison, my producer, that would make me, um, chattel. Correct. We are, uh, we would be, if, if this privately owned corporation known as Canada were to be sold to, uh, let's say the Windsors own it, and it were to be sold to the Habsburgs, I would be sold along with it as chattel, mere fixtures, furniture. Correct. All right, so uh, by the by, who, who does own uh, the Corporation of Canada? Do we know that? Is it possible to know that? Actually, it's not possible to know that, uh, regrettably, because it is not a public, it is a private corporation. But they must have uh, boards of directors, they must meet some, somewhere, they must have uh, 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 meetings? Not necessarily. That's what Parliament is for. Parliament runs it on a day-to-day -day basis, and it's overseen by, guess who? The Crown and Right of Canada. The Crown and Right of Canada. So that, that, that would suggest, then, that the Queen does own the country. Absolutely. Um, let me just explain a little more about the, the, the variations on jurisdiction. All right. Okay, we understand where common law is. Common law is men and women. Here in Canada, we actually live in a maritime jurisdiction. And if you go to the Canadian or Canada Lands Survey Act, under 24, under definition of Canada lands, and you, you will read, A, any lands belonging to Her Majesty uh, in right of Canada, two, is surrendered lands on a, or a reserve as defined by the Indian Act, Three is a Category A land or Category A1AN land as defined by the Cree uh, Nascapi Act in Quebec. The Seychelles Island lands as defined in the Seychelles Indian Band Self Government Act. Settlement land as defined in the Yukon First Nation Self Government Act. Lands in Kananaska Mohawk Interim Land Base. And then finally, any lands underwater belonging to Her Majesty and Right of Canada in respect of any rights in which the government of Canada has power to dispose. So, so what's left? Well, that's just it. Canada, the federal government, <clears throat> has jurisdiction on all treaty land and all land underwater. All land underwater. Hence, it's a maritime jurisdiction. Okay. Hence, it works in commerce. Hence, it is a corporation. By definition. Correct. 
So does that mean then that there's uh, uh, this secret uh, uh, pipeline of, of, of money going directly into the Queen's hip pocket? Well, actually, the way that the Bank of Canada is set up now, um, all monies created are created by an international banking cartel that we use here in Canada. All taxes, all taxes, let it be GST, PHT, HST, personal income tax, corporate tax, you name it, all taxes go to pay the interest on that loan. Any monies that the Canada, the Canadian government needs or the provincial governments need is created by the international banking cartel and loaned into the country. And so I'm guessing then that uh, at, the, at, the, at the top of this international bar- banking cartel would be the, the, uh, the Central Bank of London, the Queen's Bank? Yeah, the Bank of England. Bank of England, rather, yes. Okay. BOE is owned and was, uh, was purchased uh, back in 1817 by none other than N.M. Rothschild. All right. Um, so if we are living in a corporation, uh, what, again, what difference does it, I mean, I'm, I'm living quite, uh, I'd like to be uh, richer, no question, uh, but, and I, I resent every red penny that I pay in taxes, but I pay them uh, dutifully. Uh, I don't like the fact that I don't really genuinely own my house. Even once the mortgage is gone, I still pay, uh, you know, property taxes. Uh, they could come in and take my house if I don't pay them. To me, which is sort of like extortion, but that's the price, I guess, of living here. Uh, but how else does it affect me? Why else should I care that I'm living in a corporation and not a federated nation? Well, let, let, let's take this right to the, the, the very beginning. Um, you're a Christian man, I take it. I am. Well, then, you'll be, you, you would be very familiar with Genesis chapter 1. Yes. Verse 26 through 28. And verse 26 starts, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, right. and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over everything creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. What does that make you and me? Sovereign, royal personhoods of God. Correct. Why would you think that the corporation known as Canada has any right to tell you what to do? Well, that's, I guess, the way that the the parliamentary... A system has evolved. I don't like. It I, I mean, evolved, I, I, I. Richard, I'm sorry to say it has not evolved. It has de-evolved. Ah, okay. I, I was going to say that. Uh, I mean, ha, I, I, I love this country, but my personal choice would be a republican a system form of government, a limited democracy. I hate uh, parliamentary democracy because what it what it is is a tyranny of the majority, and I don't like to be uh, told what to do by the majority. Uh, I like the idea that, you know, thou shalt pass no law uh, that infringes upon my inalienable rights. But that, as you say, has de-evolved under the parliamentary system. Well, and here's what we can do here in Canada. Because Canada never confederated, never became a sovereign nation, and does not have a constitution, the door is open for each of the 12 provinces, which are sovereign nations unto themselves, to seat a jure government under a constitution. And how do we create that constitution? We get together in groups, 
and we start putting together constitutions. And once we have one that we, we, want, we would like to take to, for example, the province of British Columbia, the people out there, they create a constitution, they take it to the public and vote on it. It passes with a 75% majority. Now you have a de jure government. The de facto government of British Columbia, of course, cannot stand in law against a de jure government. We can do this to all 12 provinces. Once the 12 provinces have seated a de jure government under their own constitutions, they can actually put together a constitutional convention to seat a federal government and create a constitution for that. Let me uh, stop you there, and we'll get a little bit into the history now, because uh, people familiar with uh, you know, the British North America Act and uh, the New Westminster Act would would find a lot of what you're saying surprising. Uh, you know, we uh, supposedly became a country in 1867, uh, and uh, and then we wrested uh, control um, of our own affairs from uh, Britain in uh, 1931 or 34 of, with the New Westminster Act. So we didn't have to go to England to pass our laws for us. Uh, but okay. you're giving us a very different version of history. So walk us through. What happened, and then how we became a corporation? Okay, well, let me talk about the BNA Act of 1867, first of all. Melanie Ann Howe, yes. It was purported to unite Upper and Lower Canada, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick, because the provinces of Canada at that time, there were four, they desired a federal union as such. It is also purported to be Canada's first constitution. However, the BNA Act is neither a treaty nor a contract, which is a pact, between two independent nations with a view to the public welfare. It is instead a statute, which is an act of Parliament, and in this case the British Parliament, which doesn't even embody all of the resolutions that those four provinces at the time, or those four colonies at the time, really wanted. They went to Quebec in 1864, had the Quebec Conference of uh, Resolutions, wrote down what they wanted, Uh, to come together and how they wanted that set up. And when it was taken to London prior to its passage in the British Parliament, there were clauses that had not even been recommended by the Canadian political structure at the time. And so that's part of the bamboozlement right there. So Canada was not federated in 1867 because... No, we actually just became, instead of being four separate colonies, we became, under the BNA Act which was passed by the British government, the British Parliament, we became one colony. All right. And what about the the New Westminster Act? Didn't that change our status then? In 1931, December 11th, was it, Doug? Yes. Uh, The Statute of Westminster was passed, and at that time, that dissolved the BNA Act of 1867. That's all it did, in effect, was to to, to null and void the BNA. Yep. And so then, therefore... The BNA Act wasn't a constitution at the time it was passed. It was just an act of Parliament, British Parliament. It was dissolved in 1931. At that point, we went back to being sovereign provinces. And at that time in 1931, there was more, because more of them had joined, right? Right, Saskatchewan so in 1905, so we were yes. Ten sovereign provinces and two sovereign territories. So a collection of a collection. sovereign sovereign states with mm-hmm. with still considerable ties to the to, to Britain. Well, uh, actually, the severance uh, of the ties to Britain was done I- I- under the Statute of Westminster, 
And at that time, uh, Canada was supposed to confederate. In other words, bring all ten, uh, the two territories and the, and the eight provinces, to, provinces together, together under Articles of Confederation. It was not done. Were the founding, uh, were our, our, the fathers of Confederation, John A. Macdonald et al., were they aware of, of this, or were they being bamboozled to lift the title of your upcoming film? Well, actually, John A. Macdonald, uh, being the first prime minister under uh, the British North American Act, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I wouldn't say he was bamboozled. He was probably quite upset uh, due to the simple fact that uh, that Canada... Uh, wasn't really a sovereign nation. It was just literally a dominion, which is just a, a further uh, a, a colony of the British Empire. And he was uh, basically, uh, as the prime minister, uh, put in charge as the manager of the colony. So, it's, and, and nothing really has changed in that regard, because what you're saying is that the, 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 the face of this corporation, although we don't know really the identity of the owners, we, have, we suspect it's the, the, the Windsors and others, but... Uh, the, I, would, I would say just one, uh, that it would be the Windsors. Yes. Okay. Um, but in, in effect, then, uh, a parliament is a, an illusion, or at least the, the, the multi-party system in parliament is an illusion, because they're all just... What, board, board, board of directors. There, the, the the prime minister is a CEO, essentially. Yeah. Essentially, and likewise, it goes goes uh, down into the provinces, uh, their corporations, and into the cities, and into the police forces, and into the courts, and 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 in anything uh, you know that you're looking at that uh, has uh, the government of Canada or the province of Ontario or the city of Toronto or you know the city of Etobicoke, et cetera, et cetera. One, one thing that I think really illustrates it is, um, in a, in a, it, when we think of a proper government or a parliamentary system, which is supposed to be by the people, for the people, when a law is made in Parliament, for example, when uh, Prime Minister Harper came into uh, power and decided at the time he came in that he'd pass a law that said we would only have a federal election every four years, on a cer- in a certain month, on a certain day, and oh, sort of following what the United States does. And then, two years later, decided that didn't suit him anymore and just abandoned it with, and just said it was finished. Well, who, who can do that? CEOs of corporations can do that. So, uh, Ignatiev, the liberal leader, uh, I mean, this is the thing I always find curious, whether it's in Canada or the United States. We always vote for change. Change is always promised, but, pro- but change never comes because it doesn't matter what party's in power. They have to adhere not to their own personal platform, but to the, the charter of the corporation. Correct. So really, they're only battling it out. Uh, that's, is that illusory or do they, are they really trying to just become the CEO for their own personal benefit? A number of years ago, uh, in, the, in the Supreme Court of Canada, uh, a case was brought before them and uh, ruled upon uh, by a gentleman that made all these promises once he took, uh, took control, once he was elected, and did not fulfill any promises, uh, any of his promises. Uh, but those promises got him elected, so he was taken to court. And the Supreme Court of Canada found that... Uh, <clears throat> The man could say whatever he wanted to get himself elected, and he wasn't uh, beholden uh, to those promises made to his electorate uh, to fulfill them. 
Why is Canada Inc. headquartered on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington? If it's owned by the Windsors, why wouldn't it be uh, in in London? And you know the what do they call the the Golden Mile? The the you know the the inner city of London within Greater London. Well, I think the most important uh, factor that goes along with that uh, today is is this movement along to with the North American Union. And the NAFTA agreement that was signed by Brian Mulroney back in uh, 19, I guess it was 88 or so, uh, that created the merger of the three corporations. Now, that merger was finally completed um, a couple of years ago in Monticello, Quebec, with, uh, with the meeting there, was the final merger of the three corporations. So when you have a head office on Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, you're right nice and close to the White House, which is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Right. The merger being Mexico, Canada, and the United States. Correct. And if you look at uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, the, uh, the Mexican... See, what's on Pennsylvania Avenue is actually the Canadian consulate. That's the head office. The Mexican consulate is also there on Pennsylvania Avenue. Right. Right. Well, that makes sense. Now, mm. uh, Can I just mention one thing as we're at this point? Yes. There is uh, a really wonderful uh, Canadian documentary made by uh, a documentarian from B.C. by the name of Paul Manley, and it just came out last uh, fall, I think it was, and it's called You, Me, and the SPP, Trading Democracy for Corporate Rule. And I would highly recommend this to your listeners to understand what's going on with the NAU, also with the banking systems, and more specifically, how it affects Canada. You can uh, look it up at www.u, which is Y-O-U, me, M-E, S-P-P dot com. All right. Douglas Force and uh, Melanie Ann Howe are on The Conspiracy Show. Researchers, documentary filmmakers. How did you? I mean, do, do either of you have a, a degree in in law? How 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 did you arrive at this uh, conclusion that we are a corporation? No, I don't have a degree in law, and I I'm sure Mel doesn't either. <laughs> no. Um, but uh, what you do is you delve into, and you start reading, and you start putting one and one together. And sometimes you come up with three, but most of the time you come up with two. Uh, if you come up with three, then you've gone down the wrong rabbit hole and need to come back up and, uh, and check again. But that's really what it does. Um, on any given day, Richard, I'm reading anywhere from three to six hours of documentation. Um, I'm actually now getting ready for Bamboozled 2 and the research there, um, seeing now we're in the final phases of funding for Bamboozled the first. And Bamboozled 2 is simply the myth of Canada, the myth of Australia, and the myth of New Zealand. Is there a country in the world that is not now a corporation? Well, of 192 countries that are recognized globally, 187 of them are de facto corporate governance. And those that are not, uh, I'm guessing, would be uh, on the... uh the terror hit list or something like that. Well, uh, they have weapons of mass destruction, supposedly, or... Uh, uh, well, two of the main ones that aren't um, are China and Russia. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, those, those countries are 
literally sovereign nations. I mean, I was always only being half facetious because I'm trying to follow the logic here. And I would think that, for example, if a country didn't have a central, you know, didn't uh, uh, have like a central bank or, uh, or, you know, issue fiat money uh, or, um, um, you know, were were basically thumbing their nose at the, um, for lack of a better term, the New World Order, that country quickly becomes the pariah uh, and, uh, the, you know, whether it's, uh, I was thinking maybe Hugo Chavez and, and Venezuela might be one of those countries. You know what I'm saying? They become demonized in order to bring them, uh, in order to, to set up a pretext for invasion, etc., and bring them into the fold. Well, and, and here's the funny thing. Having a central bank uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're a corporate entity. Uh, Russia, for example, and China both have central banks. The difference between what they have and what we have is that the government owns that bank and issues the currency in both those nations. Yet I wouldn't want to live in either Russia or China. Well, that's true. They're not, uh, they're not what we would call um, <laughs> democracies by any stretch of the imagination. But and neither is America. And, and they're definitely not republics. All right, we'll... Um step back for a moment, collect ourselves, and uh, come back on the other side. More of my conversation with Douglas Force, Melanie Ann Howe, the myth of Canada. What do you make of this, folks? Here, north of the border and south of the border, we're living in a corporation. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. Toll free from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, Maine to Minnesota, 1-866-740-4740. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Sometimes being exposed to the light is is too much and we want to shrink back into the shadows rather than face the truth, the ugly truth. Rather cynical to think about uh, this uh, fair land as nothing more than a corporation, given the uh, the jubilation that we just uh, experienced over the last two weeks at the uh, the Vancouver uh, the Winter Games. However, if that is the truth, it is what it is, and we'll have to learn to deal with it. We are living in a corporation, not a federated state. We are mere chattel, not sovereign royal persons of God. This, according to researchers Melanie Ann Howe and Douglas Force. Um, let's go to the phones and uh, say hello to uh, Eric in Mississauga. Yeah, hello, hello, Eric. Rich. Hi. 
How you doing? I'm well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Rich, I was listening to your show, and um, I heard um, one of your guests made mention of Rothschild earlier. Yes. And there's a book called Thieves in the Temple, and it's written by Andrea Michael Agelichin. And he, he wrote in that book that um, Rothschild many years ago said that give him control of a nation's wealth or a nation's money, he don't care who's president. Yes, he cares not who makes the rules. That's, that's a right. very famous quote uh, attributed to him. Right, that's right, and that's in that book there. It's a very good book. All right, Eric, thank you for that. I'm interested in your show. I, I listen all the time. Thanks very much. Appreciate it, my good friend. Job. All right, let's say hello next to Nora in Indiana. Hello, Nora. Oh, hello. Welcome. Yes, uh, my comment is this um, connection, you know, with Canada being like corporate to the New World Order, because you did mention Rockefeller, and he's part of the New World Order. Well, yeah, the elites, whoever they might be, and again, I don't think the names are important. It's become, it's almost like this synthetic beast. Uh, we are a corporation, and apparently so are you uh, down there in Indiana, Nora. Uh-huh. How do you, I mean, is this something that you've long suspected? And uh, if so, what what do you aim to do about it? What do I aim to do about it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, let me put that question to Melanie and, and, and Douglas. Uh, you mentioned that uh, all we need to do is declare a, uh, you know, assemble some people together, make a constitution, and declare a, de jour, a government de jour. Is it really that simple? It is. Uh, when it comes right down to it, we don't have to go through the same thing that the founding fathers of the United States had to do. Uh, being uh, that they had to make a declaration of independence and then fight a war. Canada never confederated. Once the, the arm of the, uh, the British Parliament was removed under the statute of Westminster, Canada became 12 sovereign nations. Today, it stands as 12 sovereign nations. I mean, <clears throat> I wonder if the people in Quebec realize what has happened to them through the bamboozlement that their separatist parties have played upon them over the last 40 years. They've always been a sovereign nation. Walter Kuhl once said that you can't have a divorce without first having a marriage. Excellent point. And, uh, you know, René Lévesque, the letter was actually sent to René Lévesque in 1968. He went off to see Pierre Elliott Trudeau in Ottawa and said, Pete, is this real? And Pete said, yes. Now shut up, take these two suitcases full of money and go back to Quebec. In other words, the, 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 uh, the separatist movement in Quebec was a, a creation of, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, let's call it the, you know, the, the, uh, the British uh, oligarchs, uh, in, in order to uh, distract and diffuse the genuine... Uh, uh, separatist ambitions of, of, of uh, Quebecers? Well, they're already a separate sovereign nation, as is Ontario across this whole country. We are all in separate sovereign nations. But yes, the bamboozlement was done to the Quebecers uh, and the fleecing uh, of them by these separatist parties taking power in Quebec, in the parliament in Quebec, and taxing them and then pocketing the money and not actually telling them the truth. Have you um, actually uh, attempted to contact uh, the headquarters for Canada, Inc., and have you ever have you, have you actually talked to someone on the phone down there? No. No? I mean, is there a person to talk to? Someone who would answer the phone and say, Canada Incorporated? Well, 
know, I don't think that you, you will get that from, uh, from uh, the one on Pennsylvania Avenue. You may get a secretary or a receptionist saying, uh, how can I direct your call, Canadian Embassy? So it's with it's it's just a it's a chapter it's a, a department within the uh, the Canadian embassy. Well, as you may know, do you, do you own a corp? Uh, do you own a company uh, I, I at do, all, Richard? I do not. Use, and you may have it as a PO box number. I, I do not. Or if there's a lot of people that own offshore corporations that use uh, that use a call-in center within the uh, within the country right, that right. it was created. They don't actually have anybody there. But they have, they have legal counsel. They've actually listed them, right? Absolutely. Now, is this something that most lawyers would have to be aware of? I mean, we're talking about the laws of the land and how it relates to corporations. Does that mean that all lawyers, in fact, are in on—I shouldn't say in on this. I don't want to cast aspersions, but would they have to be made aware of this? To be honest with you, I doubt very much that all lawyers are aware I would think that the ones uh, that, uh, that have worked diligently and made their name in the business and gone on to uh, becoming judges and prosecutors are fully aware. Uh, they definitely understand different jurisdictions of law. Um, and they know that uh, they're in a commercial jurisdiction, maritime law here in Canada. Otherwise, how could they actually present a case? And most politicians, are they uh, in the dark, or, or do they know uh, what's going on? I would think that the average Joe politician that is a backbencher off in the, off in the, you know, the wilds of Parliament uh, probably don't. But those that are in positions of power, absolutely. All right. Back with more in a moment. The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Sure, go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Melody Ann Howe, Douglas Force, researchers, troublemakers, I might say. Truthsayers, Richard, truthsayers. Yes, indeed, truthsayers. Uh, but what you're saying, I would imagine, would be problematic to the, uh, the, uh, the board of directors, uh, those who have a stake in the corporation known as Canada. Uh, but this, this, this uh, is pretty much... Uh, worldwide now, just a handful of countries that are not, in fact, corporations, you're saying. So we are, in effect, to borrow a phrase from uh, Alex Jones, living on a prison planet. I just, I find it hard to believe that uh, the powers that be would allow it, uh, this to sort of um, slip from through their hands by a simple declaration, uh, you know, that, that we become a, a government du jour. I mean, the way that the courts are, are, are set up and uh, the media, etc., I just can't see them allowing this to happen. But it's got to do with the jurisdiction of the law. And so, for example, on the land, what was created was the Anglo-Saxon common law, which had no statutes, no acts, no rules, regulations, edicts, precedents, or magistrates, magistrates, which are judges. There was only one law, 
And namely, that law was, do not unto others as you would not have others do unto you. And that's basically known as the golden rule, or otherwise known as God's law. And in those kind of courts, when there were disputes, there were a, a, a jury or a, a 12 members, of, of they were actually your peers, and that's who solved the, the disputes under common law. And all the rest of it has got to do with contracts and corporate law, and that's what we're living under now. Well, they did take it and refine it a little bit further than that into, into the United States. Uh, under the Constitution, uh, the organic Constitution of the United States... They Sorry, did, let me, why do you call it organic? Let me just stop you there. Well, in, uh, in the U.S., uh, upon the creation of the District of Columbia Organic Act, of 1878, the Constitution was basically photocopied and then internalized within the corporation known as Corp. U.S. It became a commercial document at that point. The Constitution of the Organic, or the Organic Constitution, remains uh, under plexiglass in the Library of Congress, uh, the parchment that sits there, uh, without a government. Okay, the government was unseated in 1878 and reseated within the corporation known today as Corp. U.S. So of a bloodless coup d'etat. Correct. Now, it takes time, and the, the, the people behind these kinds of things have been working, literally, uh, for a very long time. Uh, the thorn in their side has always been the United States. They would like the U.S. citizens to believe that they are destroying that Constitution. The reality is they are not. What's going to be happening here over the next two years is the finalization of the reseating of the republic under the organic constitution. And in the 2012 elections, we should see the organic constitution come back into play and the republic reseated under that constitution. Well, that's uh, a discussion for another time. I'd like to know the mechanics behind that. I mean, there is this uh, movement in the states called the Tea Party. I'm not sure if that's going to be the... Uh, the driving force to get it done, because, but I mean, everything that I've seen happening in the U.S. Um, for the last 40, 50 years would tend to suggest, um, you know, that they're going in the exact opposite direction. However, as I say, we're just about out of time, and that's for another time. We'll, uh, can you tell us about uh, the film Bamboozled? Uh, when is that expected to come out? That's, what, that, that's exactly what the film is about. It will be out in, uh, in uh, the fall of 2012, or 2011. Um, but that's the topic that we go on. We will explain how it was unseated and how it's being reseated and will be reseated by 2012. All right. And, uh, Can I just mention uh, a couple of websites? Yes, please. That was my question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for uh, information about the history of what we're talking about in Canada, uh, the best place to go is Eldon G. Warman's website at www.dtaxcanada.org. And there's a wealth of information on all of this. As, uh, and if you look up Cool, which is Walter Cool, K-U-H-L, that will give you the whole history of what happened in Canada. He explains it. And it was uh, done in a speech to Parliament. So Walter Cool, you just Google that, K-U-H-L. K-U-H-L, yes. Or you can go to dtaxcanada.org. Yes. There's also uh, Robert Menard's information, and he talks about... Uh, in Bursting Bubbles of Government Deception on thinkfree.ca. All right. And uh, again, please, uh, if, if you have interest in 
current stuff, uh, look up the movie You, Me, and the SPP. Douglas Force, Melanie Ann Howe, thank you for this as always, and we'll have you on uh, back again and uh, continue this conversation. Richard, do we have time for one more? Yes, please. How about O Canada, the documentary? It's OCanadaMovie.com or StopLying.ca. A terrific piece by a young man out of London, Ontario. Put this thing together. It's absolutely amazing. All right. We'll try and post uh, these uh, sites, the links to these sites, on uh, richardserrett.com. Again, uh, Melanie Douglas, thanks. Thank you. Take care. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. All right, back next week. We'll talk about werewolves. We'll talk about global warming. Hope you'll be along for the ride. Thanks to Dan Ellison for capable technical production. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, and coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.